welcome to the All Purpose NFL Podcast. I'm your host, AP. This week, I will be talking about the Seahawks' first loss of the season, the Cowboys not coming to the defense of Andy Dalton, and Antonio Brown signing with the Buccaneers. But first. Highlights, analysis, and a few hard hits. This is the Game Day Blitz. The Steelers survived a comeback bid from the Titans to remain unbeaten. After 24 games, the Steelers finally scored a touchdown on their opening drive, thanks to an 11-yard catch by Deontay Johnson. This took long enough. Sorry, I'm still a fan. Kind of upset me that it took this long. After forcing the Titans to punt, the Steelers scored again, thanks to a one-yard touchdown run by Benny Snell. The Titans responded with a 12-play, 75-yard drive that ended with a Corey Davis touchdown to make the score 14-7. The Steelers scored a field goal on the ensuing possession. The Titans muffed the kickoff and were left with bad field position starting the drive from their own 10-yard line. They were unable to move past the 15-yard line before having to punt. Ray-Ray McLeod ran that punt back 57 yards to set the Steelers up to punch the ball in again on a beautiful catch and spin move by Deontay Johnson for his second touchdown of the game. The Steelers took a 24-7 lead into the break after being through his first interception of the game in the waning seconds of the half. The Titans punted on their first possession after halftime and the Steelers responded with a field goal. The Titans scored on the second play of the next drive thanks to a 73-yard catch and run by A.J. Brown. The teams traded punts before being through his second interception of the day on a ball that was tipped at the line of scrimmage. Tennessee was only able to get a field goal out of that turnover. The Titans were able to close the gap on their next drive thanks to a Derrick Henry touchdown run capping off a 12-play 70-yard drive that made the score 24-27. In what looked to be the drive that would close the door on the Titans' chances, the Steelers drove the ball down the field before being through, you guessed it, Another interception that gave the ball back to the Titans. The Titans were able to get into field goal range as time ran down, but Steven Gostowski missed the game-tying field goal, which led to a Titans loss and the Steelers still being undefeated. Really feels good as a Steelers fan. This was a really entertaining game to watch. The Steelers looked very dominant and like a top team in the AFC, especially with Ben playing well and the offense humming. Granted, Ben didn't keep playing well because he started doing, you know, Big Ben type things that he does occasionally. And not the good Big Ben things where he throws like six touchdowns in a game. The bad Ben things where he throws three interceptions in a game. All of this led to, you know, the Titans being able to come back and really make this a game. So as far as Ben goes, the first interception wasn't a bad one. It was one of those Hail Mary just trying to make something happen at the end of the of the half type interceptions not that bad the second one it was okay it was tipped at the line more of an annoyance but still not horrible that third one was his fault he shouldn't have thrown that ball that was on him outside of the mistakes by being the team looked really good offensively like James Conner had a pretty good day. Deontay Johnson and Juju both had nine catches for at least 80 yards. The offense looked very complimentary to the defense this game, which is not something that has happened for the majority of the season. For the Titans, 
This was another case of them playing from behind and trying to make things happen. What's worse is if it had not been for Ben's mistakes, the game would have been so much worse. Here's the thing. The Titans are very dependent on the run and play action, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because their style of play puts them in positions where generally they're not in third and long. They have first down, four yards, second down, three yards. They're generally in shorter third down positions. The problem is when they get in third and five or more, it becomes a problem. It was a problem in this game. It's been a problem in other games. Just looking at this game, they were three of nine in third and medium to long. And this will be a major issue for that team if it continues. The Titans defense also really struggled this week. They allowed the Steelers to convert on 13 of 18 for third down and were on the field for almost 37 minutes. The Steelers had three drives that took more than seven minutes each and were at least 13 plays long. Overall, in my opinion, the Titans show that they are a good team, but they have flaws that are pretty easily exploited if you have the right personnel and scheme. The Titans will look to bounce back as they play the Bengals on Sunday, while the Steelers will look to stay unbeaten as they face the Ravens. In the first snow game of the year, the Chiefs defeated the Broncos 43-16. The score sounds worse than the actual game was. The Chiefs got on the board first after a Clyde Edwards-Elaire 11-yard scamper where he broke like four, five, 12 tackles to get into the end zone. After a punt from the Broncos, Travis Kelsey coughed the ball up on a fumble to give the ball back to the Broncos in plus territory. The Broncos capitalized and scored on a Drew Lock touchdown run, but the extra point was missed. The Chiefs scored a field goal on their next possession, and then after a few more drives, Drew Lock threw a pick to Daniel Sorensen, who is having a really, really good year so far, who ran the ball back 50 yards for the pick six and a 17-6 lead. The Broncos scored a field goal on the ensuing drive. Patrick Mahomes was set and ready to come back on the field to try and drive this team down and score another touchdown. Didn't actually get the chance to because Byron Pringle ran back the kickoff 102 yards for the score. The Chiefs took a 24-9 lead into halftime. Neither team had much success in the third quarter as the Chiefs were only able to extend their lead thanks to two field goals. Early in the fourth quarter, Tyreek Hill was able to scoop, and I do mean scoop, like one-handed pushing himself into the end zone to extend the lead to 37-9. Melvin Gordon did punch the ball in on a three-yard touchdown to on the ensuing drive. The Broncos tried to get cute, onside kick it. It didn't work. And at that point, Andrew was like, there's no reason for my star quarterback to be on the field. Chad, you go out there. So they sent Chad Henney out there to replace Patrick Mahomes, and he actually scored the final touchdown run of the game. So this is a really interesting game because the Chiefs didn't need excellence from Patrick Mahomes. Like, that's not something you actually really think will actually happen. The Chiefs have Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is amazing. He's going to do amazing things. I mean, he was still his normal, like, finding seams and making things happen self but overall they didn't need him he had 200 yards that was it he did have the one touchdown which extended his streak 
to 17 straight games with a passing touchdown. The thing is, the Chiefs are a solid team regardless. When you honestly think about the weapons they have on offense, the fact that their defense is solid. It's not great. It's not bad. It is generally just solid. They don't necessarily need excellence from Patrick Mahomes, but it's something you've come to expect. For the Broncos, Drew Locke continues to grow, but he's still not playing very well. Like, he has good games. He has some bad games. He's he's okay. That's about as far as I can say. He did throw the two interceptions, but he ran in for the touchdown. He's also going up against a really solid defense. So there's only so much that you can expect of him. Same vein, Melvin Gordon did okay, but he fumbled twice. The key thing about this game for the Broncos is how well their defense played. The score didn't say they played well, but they held the Chiefs to 0 for 8 on third downs. And they sacked Patrick Mahomes four times. They also held a top five offense to only two touchdowns and three field goals. That's 23 points. In most situations, if you can hold the Chiefs offense to 23 points, it's a good day. Problem is, other points were scored other places. Can't really do anything about that. This was a solid performance that they really should look to build on. The Broncos faced the Chargers this Sunday, while the Chiefs faced the winless Jets. This could be a trap game. It really could. Hopefully, the Chiefs don't play as poorly as the Bills did this week. In the Sunday night game, the Cardinals beat the Seahawks in overtime 37-34. The Seahawks came out firing as Tyler Lockett scored the first of his three touchdowns on the first drive of the game. After a Cardinals punt, Seahawks scored a field goal to take a 10-0 lead. DeAndre Hopkins caught a 35-yard touchdown pass on the next Cardinals possession to close the gap. Seahawks only got another field goal to make the score 13-7. After a Cardinal fumble, the Seahawks looked to score again, but Russell Wilson was picked off by Buda Baker, who ran the ball all the way down to the 8-yard line before DK Metcalf somehow caught him and saved the touchdown. Here's the wild thing. The Cardinals were not able to actually do anything with the ball. They went for it on fourth down and failed to convert after this it was a scoring barrage for the next few drives. Seattle got the ball on the three-yard line and took it 97 yards and scored on a Carlos Hyde touchdown. What do the Cardinals do? They take the ball down the field and score on a seven-yard touchdown catch by Christian Kirk. The Seahawks were like, okay, no, we got you. And they drove down the field and Tyler Lockett scored his second touchdown of the game. The Cardinals were like, you're not going to outdo us. And so we're going to score a field goal before halftime and cut the lead to 10. Now what? And so that's what happened. 10-point lead at halftime. The Cardinals actually were the first to score at halftime, cutting the lead to three after a Kyler Murray touchdown run. The teams would end up trading interceptions before Seattle would score again, thanks to, you guessed it, look at him. There he is, Tyler Lockett for his third touchdown of the game. The Cardinals drove the ball down the field and scored again thanks to Christian Kirk with his second touchdown of the game. After a Seattle punt, the Cardinals were able to score a field goal to send the game into overtime. Neither team was really able to do anything with their first drive as Seattle punted and Arizona missed the field goal. 
With a minute left in the game, Russell Wilson threw his third pick of the game on an amazing, like, when I saw it, I didn't realize what happened because it happened so fast. Amazing interception by rookie Isaiah Simmons. This led to the game-winning field goal by the Cardinals. This was a really, really fun quarterback battle. Like, these two went at it. Both had over 350 yards and three touchdowns. I just want to say, the biggest talking point of this game was the amazing play by DK Metcalf. He caught him. It was wild because Russ was chasing Buddha. And Russ gave up. But DK didn't. DK said, no, sir, not today. You not getting a touchdown today. Not only did DK stop the touchdown, the Cardinals didn't do anything with the ball anyway. What was really funny was Buddha was mic'd up. And so after he celebrated with his teammates, you could hear him say, how did he catch me? We don't know, Buddha. We really don't. Because I didn't think he would ever be. I I wouldn't really. One of the things I think is getting lost in the shuffle is the performance by Tyler Lockett. He had 200 yards receiving and three touchdowns. A few weeks ago, I said DK was becoming the number one receiver for this team. But Tyler Lockett looks like he's still the dude. He is still the number one receiver on that team. There's not much to say about the Seahawks defense, who is still missing. Jamal Adams, Bruce Irvin isn't there. They're just kind of bad. Not much else you can say about them. Um, They're still the weakest part of that team. For the Cardinals, it was a great win and showcased their resilience as a team. Kyler Murray continues to improve and show why most people think he can be an elite quarterback. Christian Kirk had a great game opposite DeAndre Hopkins, and Larry Fitzgerald also played well with eight receptions and 62 yards. The Cardinals' defense should be very proud of their ability to cause mistakes by Russell Wilson, who hadn't had a multi-interception game since week one of 2018. That says something about how well this defense played against them on that day. If they can keep this up, they could be really dangerous. The Seahawks face the 49ers this week while the Cardinals are on a bye. So, let's get to the rest of the games. On Thursday night, despite being down by 11 with under five minutes to go, the Eagles rallied late to beat the Giants 22-21. Carson Wentz had 359 yards and two touchdowns, the best one coming at the end of the game on a beautiful throw to Boston Scott to win the game. In one of the many wild finishes of Week 7, the Lions drove down the field with under a minute left to beat the Falcons 23-22. Ty Gurley seemed to try to get down before he scored the final Falcons touchdown in hopes of killing the clock, but it was not to be, and TJ Hawkinson would score the game-winning touchdown as time expired. Baker Mayfield led the Browns to a rebound victory over the Bengals 37-34. Baker had a rough first quarter going 0-5 for with no yards and an interception. He then completely turned it around and finished the game 22 of 28 for 297 yards and five touchdowns, three of which came in the fourth quarter. Joe Burrow had an equally as good day throwing for 406 yards and three touchdowns. The Saints battled back and forth with the Panthers before finally winning the game 27-24. There were four lead changes in this game, 
and it was won thanks to a Will Lutz field goal midway through the fourth quarter. Despite only getting points on field goals, the Bills were able to defeat the Jets 18-10. Josh Allen threw for 307 yards, while the returning Sam Darnold could only muster 120 yards and two interceptions? Yeah, not good. The Washington football team won against the Cowboys 25-3. Andy Dalton was 9-19 of before a dirty hit took him out of the game and rookie Ben DiNucci had to replace him. Running back Antonio Gibson had a good game on the ground for Washington, rushing for 128 yards. The Green Bay Packers rebounded from last week's bad loss to the Buccaneers with a 35-20 win over the Texans. Aaron Rodgers threw for four touchdowns, two of which went to Devontae Adams, who had 13 receptions and 196 yards to go with his pair of touchdowns. The 49ers took down the Patriots 33-6. Cam Newton was benched after his third interception of the day. Jeff Wilson Jr. of the 49ers had a great day rushing for 112 yards and three touchdowns. Justin Herbert got the first win of his career as the Chargers took down the Jaguars 39-29. Herbert threw for 347 yards, three touchdowns, but also led the team in rushing with 66 yards and a touchdown on the ground. The Rams beat the Bears 24-10 on Monday night. Jared Goff had 219 yards and two touchdowns in the game. Nick Foles got more yards than Goff with 261, but he threw just as many interceptions as Goff did touchdowns with two. The Bears' offense was not able to get going as the only touchdown came on a late fumble recovery by Bears safety Eddie Jackson. With all the news being thrown around, you need the proper defense. Time for the cover three. The top three stories of the week. Number three. Jacksonville Jaguars running back Raquel Armstead has been sidelined for the year due to complications with COVID-19. Coming into this season, Armstead was thought to be the front runner for the starting job as a replacement for Leonard Fournette. But complications with the virus have changed all that. Armstead was put on the COVID reserve list in September and is not expected to return this season. He's been hospitalized twice so far this season and has had complications, including respiratory issues due to COVID-19. The most interesting thing about this story to me is the lack of coverage. I understand that Armstead is a secondary running back for a bad franchise, but the idea that a player with serious complications and multiple hospitalizations due to the virus is not being talked about is wild, but sadly understandable. The league is trying to keep a lid on things and maintain the mindset that the virus doesn't hold players back and that those who return are fully recovered and healthy. Armstead doesn't fit that mold, so he will not really be the topic of conversation. What will be interesting is what happens as players continue to test positive and will there be long-term issues for them as well. Number two. Antonio Brown signed a one-year deal with the Buccaneers worth a little over $1 million with incentives that could take to almost $2 million? Well, I didn't think this would actually happen, but A.B. is back in the league and on a good team nonetheless. I'm pretty sure Tom Brady had a lot to do with this pickup by the Buccaneers, even though Bruce Arians was like, no, Jason Licht has been talking to me about this for months. Okay, Bruce, we believe you. What's more interesting is that Bruce Arians has had problems with Antonio Brown before. 
In January 2019, AB bashed Arians on Twitter after Arians called him a diva. And in March of this year, Arians said Antonio wouldn't be brought in because he didn't fit with the team and again was too much of a diva. When asked about bringing him in this week, Bruce Arians said that he believed that Antonio has matured. Jay Glazer reported that injuries to wide receivers Mike Evans and Chris Godwin also played a part in the signing. He also reported that Arians' message to Brown this week was, quote, be a team player or be gone. This is going to be a very interesting experiment for the Buccaneers, who have more weapons than they need, but continue to stockpile assets. Let's not forget, they had Ronald Jones and LaShawn McCoy, and then they were like, ooh, Leonard Fournette is available? Let's get him. When Gronk came out of retirement, oh, we have Cameron Bray and OJ Howard, but why not get Rob Gronkowski? This is another example of them being like, hey, let's get as many pieces as possible. As such, Antonio Brown is a very talented receiver who at his best was the best in the league. But that was a year and a half ago. He had the one game for the Patriots where he looked really good, but he hasn't seen the field since then. On top of the hiatus from being on the field, when we last saw him as the top option for a team, it didn't stop his off-the-field issues. So how is he going to acclimate to coming in and being the third best option? I'm sure Tom will try to incorporate him very quickly, but it would be unwise to favor him over the proven stars of the team in Evans and Godwin. What's more is the last time we saw Antonio on the field for a full season, he created more problems for the team because of his insistence on getting the ball. In his last season with the Steelers, nine of the 16 interceptions that Ben Roethlisberger threw were because he was forcing the ball to Antonio Brown. This signing has a lot of potential for success for the Buccaneers, but in that same token, it has a lot of potential for abject failure. The biggest mystery is which potential outcome will be realized. Number one. Andy Dalton was concussed during the Cowboys matchup against the Washington football team after a dirty hit by linebacker John Bostick. And nothing happened to Bostic. And that is one of the biggest indictments on this Cowboys team that I could ever have imagined. My initial reaction to the play was shock at how hard Dalton got hit and that he was just on the ground. And then no Cowboy player came to his defense. No one got in Bostic's face. No one showed any real anger. What's worse... Bostic made it through the rest of the game without incident. How? How? I don't understand. Doesn't make sense to me. I need an explanation, but I'm not going to get one. This incident showcases that the Cowboys are in more trouble than anyone could have ever imagined without Rain Dakota Prescott. Yes, I said his whole name because that is how much trouble they are in. I want to break this down on different levels. So first off, after the hit, which was clearly dirty, like John Bostic went in to destroy Andy Dalton. After this dirty hit, the level of concern for Andy Dalton was really, really poor. Like, I know he's the backup, but the team didn't even seem 
bothered. They all just kind of stood back and looked ready to get the game back going. Like, all right, Andy's down. Can 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 we speed this up? Can can we get this going? I, like, I got I got to get back home. In contrast to this, three weeks ago, when Dak went down, the entire team seemed to be affected and concerned. Granted, it was a worse injury, but still, the response was so vastly different. So, that the initial part of like nobody's being concerned was a problem. Now, let's look at the fact that no Cowboy player got to John Bostic. For a frame of reference, let's go back in time for a minute and let's think back to last season. It's a game where the Pittsburgh Steelers are losing to the Cleveland Browns. And after a sack, Miles Garrett gets into it with backup quarterback Mason Rudolph. One thing led to another. Mason Rudolph's helmet is yanked off of his head and Miles Garrett swings Mason's helmet at Mason. And then the offensive line for Pittsburgh went off. David DeCastro threw Garrett to the ground as Marcus Pouncey proceeded to punch him and kick him and like rear back while he's on the ground and try and punch him again while he still has his helmet on. I don't know what that was supposed to do, but that's neither here nor there. Here's the thing. It didn't matter that Mason was the backup quarterback. They defended their guy. Here's the thing. It was Mason's fault, like it was. Mason started it, was talking bad, grabbed at Miles' helmet, and Miles reacted. That didn't matter to the Steelers. That's their quarterback. You're not going to put your hands on that quarterback. All that mattered was he's their quarterback. You don't touch him. Dallas didn't do nothing. John Bostic walked away from that play like he had done nothing wrong. So there's that level. And then finally, there was no retaliation throughout the rest of the game. He finished the game clean. No one chipped him. No one hit him hard with a block. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. This shows where the Cowboys are right now. And, that's, and the fact that they don't seem to care about each other, their reputation, or the organization. Now, I'm not advocating for hurting others or fighting during the games, but at some point, you got to do something when someone takes out your quarterback. Had this been Dak, there's no question of what would have happened. And the idea that because it wasn't him, they didn't respond shows that this team is in more trouble than anyone could have imagined. Up, down, or the same, teams are always changing in the power rankings. After a dominant win against the Broncos, the Chiefs reclaimed their number one spot. Coming in at number two, the surprise of the season so far, at least to me, the undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers. The Packers rise to number three as the Seahawks fall three spots to number four. Making their first appearance in the top five this season are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Ravens drop to number six after Tampa pushed past them. The Titans fall to number seven. The Saints come in at number eight. The Cardinals move up one spot to number nine. 
and making their way back into the top 10 this week are the Rams. Side note, the Cowboys continue to fall, and they are well on their way to replacing the Jets in that number 32 spot. Need help with your fantasy squad? Look no further than the all-purpose fantasy outlook. Our fantasy outlook this week focuses on running backs. The start of the week is Derrick Henry coming off a somewhat slow game for him when he only had 75 yards on the ground. He should rebound this week against the Bengals, who are middle of the road in points allowed to running backs. But they've also allowed 150 yards rushing four times this season. The sit of the week is Mark Ingram, who has failed to make a major impact this year, only scoring 10-plus fantasy points once this season. Ingram is also nursing an ankle sprain and is facing the number one rush defense in the Steelers this Sunday. The sleeper of the week is Le'Veon Bell. This may just be the pity in me, but I feel that going against his former team, he will look for every opportunity to show up and show out and let the Jets know they made a mistake letting him walk. That's it for this week's episode. I have been your host, Arion A.P. Parks. You can find me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at APNFLPod. Also, you can get the all-purpose NFL podcast on anchor.fm slash APNFLPod, Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening, and have a good one.